right. So uh, welcome to Help Me Understand. It's a podcast where we talk to different folks and try to learn what they have to teach us. Uh, my name's Steve Boots, and I'm very happy to welcome Mark Heisey, uh, the president and CEO of Rebellion Brewery. So welcome. Great to be here. Let's have some fun. Right on. Yeah. Um, so first off, um, you've been president and CEO of Rebellion since 2014. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So prior to that, can you tell tell us a little bit about your life prior to running a brewery? Uh, I mean, professional career would be. Uh, I went to university. I didn't necessarily finish, um, but while I was in university, I was already working full time in the business world. Uh, initially, as an accountant, that's what I went to school for, and then I dropped out because I got a full time job in the IT industry. Okay. Uh, I've never taken an IT class in my life, but I taught, started teaching myself about computers when I was around maybe four or five years old. So completely self-taught. And anyways, somehow turned that into a 17-year IT career. Uh, <laughs> As did, it happens. I did a lot of consulting, um, but most of my work, most even though my consulting work was mostly with different areas of the provincial government, and I pretty much worked everywhere. Uh, I was never a programmer, but I did just about everything else. Towards the end, I wore a suit. I was an account executive. Uh, I've been a technical architect for the provincial government, you know, running their email systems, running the network, running firewalls, writing policies. I don't know. So what what brought you from like suit guy to brewery guy? What what precipitated that sort of change? Yes, I just always loved beer, uh, like a lot of a lot of uh, people, uh, you know fall in love with beer, maybe sneak a sip or two from their dad or uncle or grandpa over the, you know, when you're quite young. Um, and, but I always just like different beers. And, um, so I started home brewing in 2004 and it's just a really odd thing. And my wife still doesn't know why, but for my birthday in 2004, she gave me a birthday card and nothing else. And inside the birthday card just said, you should buy yourself a home brewing kit. And I said, why? And she's like, well, I don't know. It just seems like something you should do. Okay. And I was like, oh, I'd never thought of that before. Uh, and it, and I it guess just I started as like a hobby kit like that? That was basically it. That's how I started making beer. And so how can you take me a little bit maybe <laughs> through the process of how it escalated from that to like commercial brewing? Because that's, that's quite a leap. Yeah, so I think, you know, when I, when I get interested in something, like say I taught myself computers. I loved computers uh, and just... You know, I, I went pretty far in that industry with zero education, just mm -hmm. determination and passion. And uh, brewing, I just kind of caught that same bug. Uh, it scratched a lot of itches for me. I, uh, I really started out in my life, I was very analytical, very reserved, introverted, didn't like talking, didn't like being creative. Mm -hmm. and, but by that point in my life, I was m making music, touring with a band, writing songs, doing this. So I was starting to be a little bit more creative and yeah. uh, outgoing. And so beer scratched both of those issues because there was so much science to understand, so much history to understand, details around math that I just, I love math. That's why I wanted to be an accountant originally. But then there's the whole creative side. You can make any beer you want. So you're just pointing sort of the tools that you learn in computer science at brewing and using it to sort of yeah. fuel your creativity. As well as just my love of music and songwriting. You can do anything right well like you, i mean i feel the, like music and beer are inseparable yeah so to me again i don't know I, it makes sense in my head that that those are just but it, to me it was just the best of both worlds and yeah. i mean maybe you'll get sick of it someday but like there's no end in sight there's always more to learn there's always a new beer there's always a new ingredient so 
it, on the topic of always a new beer, I have to ask you. You won a fairly big honor lately with one of your beers. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so we won Canadian Beer of the Year for a beer that's uh, we call Cherry Lambic. Uh, it's actually the it's a it's a Belgian Creek style. Um, and again, when I I also taught myself how to do marketing. I never took any marketing classes. I've gotten not bad at marketing. I also knew that if I called a beer Belgian Creek, nobody would buy it mm-hmm. in Saskatchewan. <laughs> So we call it cherry lambic. At least people will be like, cherries, that sounds good. Not, not that everyone knows what a lambic means. So, yeah, I was going to say, what does lambic mean? Lambic is a, uh, a natural, uh, a spontaneously fermented beer. Uh, so basically you're not adding uh, traditional brewer's yeast. You're uh, using wild bacteria and cultures that are, a lot of it's just from the air. So, like, would that process be something akin to, like, just when apples or whatever just sit out and Exactly. That's exactly out? it. Yes. Okay. So, again, even just when I was homebrewing, we would, uh, even here in Regina, you know, uh, in September, we would take we would take fruit off of, uh, the, you know, raspberries or strawberries, and we built, we culture the yeast off of the, the skin of the fruit and make beer with that. So we've and been doing all sorts of that weird stuff. And so when you cultivate, you culture the yeast on the fruit like that, it imparts like flavors onto it? Yeah, so you get you get extremely unique uh, flavors. You can also get some really bad flavors. So when we were doing those experiments here, uh, some of them were awful and you had to dump them out. Right? So, so sometimes you try weird stuff and it just goes off the rails and you're like that was we're going to chalk that up as a learning experience absolutely absolutely but that's just part of the fun of it so that beer but that beer itself took three years to make because when you're using these wild yeasts they a lot of them work very slowly Mm. they need time uh after one year it might taste really gross um because it's it's still actively fermenting and creating different byproducts oh so now i have to ask do you do you sort of just operate under faith it's going to get better, or is there sort of an understood path that certain beers go through? Yeah, you, again, it's just experience and and trust in what the beer is doing. So you know, get I've done so much research on sour beers. Um, there's a book on American sour beers that came out a, a few years ago. Um, I'm pretty good friends with the guy who wrote the book, and we did we were doing a lot of that research back 15 years ago just at home yeah um so i i was working alongside a lot of these people that were doing a lot of this in-depth research uh one guy wrote of like a his uh his thesis on wild beers chad jacobson from uh in colorado i got some of his yeast from him and okay like, so i'm not trying to say i'm a big deal but i've been i've been embedded in that stuff for a long time and doing a ton of research and understanding how the the belgian brewers have been doing it for hundreds of years you've done the homework yeah that's awesome. and so even as a home brewer uh as a home brewer with my sour beers um so i started making sour beers at home 2006 and even the one that so the beer that won that there is some of that beer from 2006 in that in the one that won okay. that so is a is a specialty beer like that like really batch limited then just by the process? Yeah, yeah. There's limited amounts. So we, we made some more. Uh, hopefully it won't take three years. Uh, I think this one might be ready within about twelve months. Okay. So hoping to release some more this fall. So on that note, with like the 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 more complex beers that you're making, some that have really like complicated processes and stuff. Can you maybe tell me a little bit about the sort of expansion that you you guys are going through as you grow from sort of like craft brewery into more larger scale brewery like does yeah it make i mean it hard to make those specialty beers oh yeah so like with the, the those sour beers we make in barrels we used to have 36 of them we've had to cut back to six because 
uh, we need the space mm-hmm. in the brewery to make our other beers. So, um, you know, I try, I, I always have to balance that in my own head. Am I selling out or this or that? I mean, ultimately we need to make money and need to pay for things. And there's still the hope that when we can do our next expansion, we can create lots of space for even more barrels and do all this great stuff. So you sort of mentioned that tension where ultimately we have to make money. And that, I feel like that's a tension that you experience a lot as a business owner and you've been really vocal on Twitter about, you know, the importance of labor and taking care of employees and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about maybe that tension you have where you've got to worry about the bottom line versus the people who work for you? Um, yeah, I mean, that's something that you, you got to think about all the time. Uh, at the end of the day, our greatest asset is, uh, is our people. Um, and if we want to grow, so, I mean, I haven't brewed beer in the brewery in six years, seven years now, probably. Like I literally have not brewed a drop of beer. <laughs> and, you know, people are like, ah, oh, Mark's this great brewer, this or that. Bottom line, I can't because we're growing as business. I have to have my eye on some other things. This is only so many hours in the day. Yeah. But like the, the folks that brew the beer now, they're better than me at it. Mm-hmm. Like I could not brew as good a beer as they can. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of times they talk about the rule when you're growing a business, you know, if, as long as someone can do the job at 80% of the level as, as you are, that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, move on. On the brewing side, they're doing like 110, 120% of what I could do. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize that, but I always try to give them as much credit as they can. So, um, so that's important to me because I want to do bigger and better things. I want to, and obviously we want to grow our business and sell more beer. That's our business. We need to mm-hmm. sell beer. But, you know, there's other things I want to do and other advocacy and community and engagement and this and that. You got to have an amazing team Mm -hmm. and you got to keep their spirits up and you got to uh, let them follow their passions. Mm -hmm. And if they have an idea, whether it's a marketing idea or a beer idea or whatever, or a cost saving idea, I, I have to give them the rope to try that. So when we were chatting before the show started, um, you mentioned a really cool policy and I'd really love to ask you about it. You said that your employees get to pick their own job titles. Yeah. I mean, like who cares? Like, I don't know. I just, there's things to that to be concerned about and things to not be concerned about. And I just want, I want my folks to be as, uh, to feel as autonomous and as empowered as possible. And if you can come up with your own job title, so why not? I, I have to ask then, does it sometimes make it like organizationally confusing? Because I know oh. I would immediately declare myself like supreme overlord or something sure. ridiculous. Sure. And that's fine, right? And I think that that's fun. And it requires, I mean, who knows, maybe someday we'll get so big that, you know, it's impossible for everyone to know everyone. But uh, I mean, I, I, we processed our payroll this week. I think there's 23 people that got paid. And mm-hmm. I love the fact that I know every single person and I want to know every single person. And if they want to have a goofy job title, I want to know that. I mean, that seems like it seems like a great way to make people feel a sense of ownership about their role, too. Do you think that's a part of it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I think I mean, and this is me projecting. I, I do. I think everyone ultimately projects their own uh, vision and values onto things. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I say, I really want I really want my staff to express that. But my approach to work has always been um I'm going to perform at a really high level. Don't nitpick me on how I do it. Mm-hmm. 
and let the results speak for themselves. I like it. So I've had I've had some jobs where people are like, "Well, you weren't here at eight o'clock," and I, and, I, and I've literally told my boss, "I'm like, did I not pr- produce good results that day?" And then she said, "Well, no, you produce good results." And I said, "Then who cares if I showed up at eight o five?" So <laughs> it feels it feels like you've really worked hard then to make the climate at Rebellion sort of reflect that attitude. Yeah, and we so yeah we, we I want to yeah I we set the bar really high and we and we uh, even other people from the outside have said, "Oh, Rebellion's like a cult," or "Rebellion's really hard to work." It's really really hard place to work. I said, "Yeah, it is." Because the result, the the bar is set really high. You need mm-hmm. to achieve. You need to perform. How you get there, I don't care. I'll help you get there if you need help. Um, and if you can achieve that, world's your oyster. You can goof off. You can do whatever you want. And hopefully we'll pay you good and make you feel good about yourself. So if there are folks listening who like run a business or, or maybe have people who work for them, can you maybe give them some sort of suggestion that they could take to sort of empower the people who work for them this sort of way? Like, I know what you're talking about is very cultural and a big thing, but can you maybe give them a step they could take? It's that leap of faith of just, uh, which is terrifying for someone, especially if it's your own business and your own money on the line. So I I can't just trust some guy off the street to just not screw up, but you kind of can't afford not to do that. So it's, it's a, there's a level of letting go of control. Yeah, and, and I've seen it. I've seen it in my I've seen myself do it, right? But I've seen other people and other businesses, and you just it's like, man, if you would just let go, mm-hmm. if you would just let go, your business would just skyrocket. <laughs> Can you? So, I think maybe the the thing that people who don't let go, I'm just sort of putting myself in their shoes, and my my thought is there there's some sort of fear of being taken advantage of. Yeah. So yeah, and I was gonna get to that, and so. And again, you can't operate in fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to accept that there is going to be a small group of people that you may hire that will take advantage of you or aren't able to perform or just can't fit into that work environment. And you have to be, um, it sucks because I, I take it all very, very personally. Everyone does. There's, there's a lot of emotion in a small business, but you have to ultimately uh, be enough strong-willed to be like, I'm not going to let someone screw that up, right? Or mm-hmm. I'm not going to... Uh, I so said, you, you could hire the best accountant in the world if they're a jerk and create a toxic environment and no one else wants to be in the office. Well, like, who cares? Mm-hmm. I'd rather have a subpar accountant that actually gets along with everybody and I can send them on training to become a better accountant. <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds like you attribute like a lot of the success of rebellion to the culture there. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's absolutely about culture. And um, uh, to try to digress to back when I was in government and working in IT I was great at IT and I worked with other people that were great at IT and some were jerks and like honestly I started looking at culture and leadership and I was able to look at some of my previous bosses and I realized that I didn't like some of them and I could tell they were kind of jerks but I also started doing my own self-reflection I was like "Mm, I was kind of a pompous jerk myself too (laughs) and it's like but I am smart so I should be a jerk but when I basically forced myself to not do that (laughs) yeah I started uh, having better success. Can you maybe expand on the idea of self-reflection a bit? Because like, I feel like you and I both realize that's quite important, but I think it's something to, that's, that's worth exploring. Can you, can you maybe talk about how that impacts you as, as a manager and as a leader, but also just how it might impact anyone? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I think I, I'm not really, again, I'm not really well versed in... Uh, 
and you know, people that really, really focus on these types of things. But I do, I watch a few, I watch a couple Simon Sinek videos. But Simon <laughs> Sinek does talk, uh, he talks about that and about competition and the endless game. Mm. And for me, again, because I don't, I don't read books or take courses, I just kind of figure stuff out along the way. And then I'm like, oh, and then, you know, years later, I watch a Simon Sinek video. I'm like, well, this is exactly what he's talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, but I've already been practicing sort of it. Puts the words to it. But the whole point of that is, you know, you're in competition with yourself. Hmm. Uh, let's just whoever your competitor. Let's say let's say you do have a competitor, and sure, I guess ultimately in business there's always competitors. However mm-hmm. you want to term them, if you beat your competitor, so what? Hmm. Then what? What does that mean for your biz for your business? Like, hmm. like you're the you're the champion of business. <laughs> doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean a damn thing. Congratulations. So who you cares? Built the biggest pile of money. Or yeah, whatever. like who cares? It doesn't amount to anything. Um, so that's a long-winded way of saying you're only in competition with yourself. Mm. And you're only in competition with how you performed yesterday. And so it's like, great, how can I do better today? So And sort of taking your eyes off of other people and turning them on yourself. Yeah, so it's just always that internal reflection. And so, yes, yeah, so, so you know, even you know, to win... Canadian beer of the year we won that last year and I, I we had lots of staff strategy sessions just in January and I said so what like are we done like do we close up and go home did we get a 10 million dollar payout for that like no the award was nice mm-hmm. like, we're not we don't want to turn down awards but it really doesn't mean anything you don't want to sit on your laurels either. <laughs> yeah and so we actually uh kind of the, the the theme that uh at least I landed on I think the staff kind of <laughs> uh, resonated with um, the best beer in Canada needs to be in every can we make and we sell oh I like that because we brew beer we brew tons of beer every every week I don't know we package I don't know sometimes 40 50,000 cans of beer a week wow the that's like a lot of that's a hard scale to wrap your head around it's a like, lot yeah for you as just like a dude who started with like a beer kit that he got a suggestion yeah. on his birthday. Yeah. Do you ever just like stand there and look at all of this and go like, good Lord. The craziest moment, the craziest moment when it really resonated with me, uh, was when I was in Australia three or four years ago. Hmm. Uh, they flew me over there to brew lentil beer, which I kind of sort of created. Hmm. No one else had ever really made lentil beer in the world before. So I got flown to Australia to brew the beer. So I was flown halfway across the, well, across the the world woke up to go and brew beer in australia and like their their national television folks were there and like this was like a big deal right and we go into bars and they're like those are the canadians they make that lentil beer beer's on us (laughs) it was weird um but that was the most that was the most shocking moment because yeah i woke i remember i woke up that morning in my hotel room in australia and i was like I used to brew beer on my stove in my apartment. <laughs> what the hell am I doing in Australia? <laughs> do, do you ever find yourself on the flip side and catching yourself letting it get to your head? Um, yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's natural to happen to anyone and you got to just dial yourself back. Um, uh, my wife is probably the best for, for doing that. And I, and I appreciate it. And it's not that she's negative or, or, you know, or talks down to me or something, but you know, she's just, you know, she knew me when I was, brew beer on our kitchen stove or when you know we did have not that we have much now but you know when we were we were living in really rundown apartments mm-hmm. you know even in the 90s and stuff and so she really knows who i am and sometimes the whole she'll just be story. like hey maybe just dial back a bit you know 
and knows who you are as more than just yeah. Mark the Brewer. And that's what I mean. It's important. That's important to me. And it's you know whatever. I'm not. So it's, I'm, I'm really not a big deal. But um, yeah, it's important. I don't. I don't. If if I let's if I do become a big deal or whatever, whatever I become, uh, I still want people to. Uh, I still want to feel like I'm myself. True to myself. It feels like you're just one short step away from a Gucci suit. So, <laughs> <laughs> can you maybe touch on this lentil beer? I didn't realize that this was so distinct to to you and to Rebellion. Can you? So, like, first of all, like, what makes is a lentil beer? Walk me through it because I don't even know what that means. Like, is it just lentil instead of wheat or instead of barley or whatever? Maybe? Yeah. So the main grain in beer always has to be barley. If you don't have barley, you really you literally can't make beer okay. uh so even a wheat beer is still half barley half wheat so um my cousin tyler uh i knew that he worked in agriculture and in grains and this or that uh he was working he ultimately was working for agt and uh he was bugging me about chickpeas or this or that or if i wanted to make hummus in the tap room because <laughs> i i was i was making hummus in like the 80s i was like a kid and my mom and me we would track down where to buy tahini and garbanzo beans you had to go to old-fashioned foods i I was a weird kid back when they still called them garbanzo beans yeah i know i know right (laughs) so uh so he was talking to me about that and i was like yeah okay sure yeah i'm thinking about that but then he starts oh have you thought of making a beer with lentils and i was like well no it sounds terrible but uh he's like wow just try just try it you know here at agt we have lots of lentils It'd be awesome if you could like even just make us a test batch, and we have a small system that makes forty liters of beer. So I was like, so I eventually said, yeah, okay, fine, I'll make mm-hmm. it for him. And uh, so I brew, I came up with the recipe, I brewed that batch, and they loved it. And it, I kind of thought that would just be the end of it. I'm like, okay, I kind of humored these guys, and that'll be the end of it. But then they came back to me and said, we, you need to make this full time. Like, no. Like, who the hell are you to tell me what beers to make? <laughs> uh, and again, so I went home, and you know. I know that, you know, lentils and pulses and stuff are grown here in Saskatchewan. But I, again, I went on to Google and it was like, oh, southern Saskatchewan is the epicenter of lentil production in the world. Yeah, it's humongous. I was like, whoa, okay, this is a big deal. And then I Googled AGT. You know, and I would go to the Ryder Games and there's AGT logo on the field. And I was like, what the hell is AGT? You and don't like, even think about it. And you'd it. ask people like sitting next to me like, I don't know. Yeah, like it's just it was just noise, right? So you Google AGT, AGT and you see their revenues and how big global they are. And you're like, oh. I should maybe listen to them. You're like, huh? And then he started googling who else, you know, who else is making lentil beer. Well, nobody. So I was like, huh? This could be a really good opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that's a long-winded way of basically just through circumstance and just accident uh, made lentil beer, and it it's not our number one beer anymore. But it really rocketed when we uh, when we put it into cans. Yeah. It just it was it resonated with people. Uh, farmers wanted to try it. Uh, ag researchers from the U of S wanted to try it. We actually had the launch party at the U of S. Really? And there was all these like scientists and researchers. And like, <laughs> I developed this because we use uh, King Red Lentil. It's the type. Like, and so like, there's we, all these ag yeah. genetics guys. Yeah, I was like, this was my baby, and you turned it into a beer. <laughs> That's so cool. So it's, yeah, it's it's nuts, right? And you would uh, back, and you'd see. You know, you'd see like a bunch of farmers come into the brewery and they're like, yeah, we want to try that lentil beer. We grow lentils. And they're, and they're just so proud. That's cool. So, so they feel this big sense of ownership around. Yeah. Because they know it's the lentils from Saskatchewan specifically. Yeah. When really, I mean, like I say, the only reason I even 
thought about doing it it's because my cousin was bugging me i'm like yeah okay i can make my cousin happy and isn't that the most saskatchewan story though that just that's, like yeah, that's somebody's people love that story. cousin just happened to work at agt and connected like six different dots that made something really cool happen yeah and like i've heard like i mean i've gotten to know a lot of people at agt now over the years and like they talk about like their beer you know Murad himself is like yeah our beer we need our beer sold at this place we need it to carry it oh okay sure Murad. well we'll try and get so that cool. happen anyways um yeah so okay so let's let's maybe draw this back to labor a little bit sure and just sort of your relationship um with your workers and specifically you know trying to draw together that conversation about culture and the conversation about labor you had this experience where you put on a bunch of anti-discrimination training at yep. rebellion can you maybe first off tell me a little bit about what prompted that so what really prompted that was, um, you know, there was the, there was the whole, the, the global Me Too movement. And, you know, through that, there was a local Instagram page that was created uh, and lots of people were um, calling out, you know, inappropriate action behavior, primarily in, uh, in businesses, but primarily in a lot of uh, stuff in restaurants and mm. this and that. And we're very involved in those industries. We know a lot of these people. Uh, it was it was a really uncomfortable time and a really you know it was it was awful. I mm. mean, and there was people sitting across from me crying, telling me their story or mm. that they had read this and then they had this to add. And so it was it, it really it really hit us hard. We worked because we worked very closely with a lot of well, frankly a lot of the people mm. that were called out. Um, so yeah, again, you know, for me, it's like well, you got to do something about it. You got to show some leadership. So, you know, there's a whole lot of work that went into that. There's still some things that still may come out of it. Some official um, training programs potentially for for the entire uh, hospitality industry in Saskatchewan. I'm just not sure where that finally, finally landed. So I won't necessarily talk about that. But we, we did a lot of, uh, I did a lot of behind the scenes work just with even just concerned uh, people, not even necessarily official people, but like mm-hmm. there was lawyers and doctors and uh, some politicians and um, like just people who came to you feeling nervous about the climate. Yeah, and they're like we need to do something about this, right? Okay. Because there was just such a, it was just such an immediate. It, it sounds crazy because it was it wasn't that long ago. Just so much other nonsense has it just happened. Feels like a million years ago. It was I know just what you mean. yeah, but at the time it was just so impactful and people were so so. Uh, There's just such an outpouring of emotion and people didn't know how to react and how to respond and so. Um, I didn't necessarily know either, but I was like, okay, how can I try to um, give people, um, uh, try to create some sort of, I guess, leadership ultimately, but mm-hmm. being like, okay, as a business, what can we do? And so we can publicly, you know, say we don't support this. We don't tolerate this. We are actively working with levels of government to bring in training and, you know, and internally we're going to do our own training. Mm-hmm. Long-winded way of leading up to that. Um so yeah, so it just it just seemed like a fairly easy thing, you know, and so we just brought in these we brought in some folks to do the training with us, and I mean it, it was awesome, and um, this stuff doesn't cost a lot of money, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear it though from other business owners, oh I'm not gonna pay five hundred bucks for this, or I'm not gonna pay to have my staff sit there for three hours and do nothing there. So do you think in reality then that the obstacle to other companies or businesses taking the leap is money or do you think it's inertia yeah i would say it's all of the above so a lot of the really tough discussions and you know i'm not here to like necessarily like call out other folks but i would challenge folks 
a lot of the folks that were called out were our business owners or managers. Mm-hmm. And in either situation, the owners were aware or they even when they became aware, didn't do anything about it. Mm. So, you know, there's still, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of old school horrible shitty people still involved in restaurants and bars and i know people say it's always that way and that's just the industry works mm. but I, w- I didn't come from that i mean mm. i worked at greco's and washed dishes and <laughs> and you know and whatever and i had some interesting experiences in the 90s doing that but i came from a professional background and i'm like i don't care i don't need to tolerate that i mean my wife works in healthcare, and you know and she talks about you know abuse from 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 patients and i was like Every employee has the right to a safe work environment. <laughs> so what do you think then, do you think there's a path for the service industry and the hospitality industry to I think heal this? Yeah. So that's where, you know, in my own, in my own way, I'm doing everything I can. And I, so I try to make it really clear with my staff that they need to feel empowered. I, and every new person that, that gets hired at Rebellion, I tell them, you don't take crap from anybody. And I said, I know, I know that that's sometimes tough to stand up for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's why you have a support team. That's why you have people, you know, I'm not asking you to go and punch somebody out or this, like, that's not what I'm asking. I said, like, you don't tolerate any nonsense. I said, if I'm being, if I'm being inappropriate, if my friends are being inappropriate, you will never, ever be uh, disciplined for cutting us off, throwing us out, telling us to shut up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, pretty much every single one of them was like, wow. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that before. I've worked at eight different restaurants. No one is no 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 uh, owner has ever said that. <laughs> Do you think it's maybe made difficult by the fact that restaurants, especially, are just such a series of small things rather than a larger organization that it makes it so that individuals have to deal with it rather than a collective? Yeah, I think it's just really uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable spot, and I think. Um, Again, I'm not trying to like insult other some other folks that run bars and restaurants. I don't think that they have a lot of the experience that some of the like a lot of folks that get into craft brewing, they typically already had professional careers. Mm. Um, the, the other one I was saying was Sean Moen that runs Nine Miles Saskatoon. He's a lawyer, right? And not mm. that all lawyers are good guys or bad guys, but you have some you perspective. Know, you have a different perspective than if I, you know, my first job, like I say, was washing dishes at Greco's. If that continued to be my whole my only experience. Yeah, I would probably end up being a rotten, horrible person running a rotten, horrible business too. But I didn't. I worked, and I didn't just work for the provincial government. I worked at 20 or 30 different places in professional environments, and I saw the best and the worst of all of that. And I apply all that and say, that's great that that's how the restaurant industry has always run. I don't want any part of it. And we've fired clients. We've not. We've stopped doing business with people. Uh, I've told some of my staff, like, it's not... Again, I've told like my sales staff, they're not going to get in trouble because we lost an account because uh, an account was being inappropriate. So I'm not going to ask you to name any names, but can you tell me a little bit about like I've the idea of firing a client is pretty foreign to me. Can you tell me a little bit about what sort of without getting too specific or more specific than you want to? Can you maybe speak to that a little bit about what you mean by firing a client and what can sort of precipitate that? Um, yeah, I mean, just, just, just that straight out, you know, inappropriate behavior. Um, yeah, a lot of people think they, because they run a bar, they have the right to treat people however they want. 
<laughs> there's staff, other staff. Uh, there's the whole in the whole beer industry itself. There's that whole the whole salesperson re- uh, idea. Uh, we call them the greasy sales guys. Um, <laughs> it's a thing. It really is a thing. And we're just like we're not playing in that. We're not playing in that space. Uh, I actually was hanging out with a guy, uh, a beer guy that I like in Winnipeg on the weekend. <laughs> Uh, but he's, you know, and he says, yeah, he's like, it's, it, uh, it's not uncommon to walk into a, a potential cold call place and they, and their, their response is how much money are you going to give me? Hmm. And like, we're just not interested in that. Yeah. That's not a game. Don't want to play that. We're not playing that. So yeah. So anyways, uh, it's a long winded way of like, so firing a client, like, yeah, if it's, if, if my staff are not being respected or if I'm not being respected or if you're not paying your bills or like whatever, like I got better things to do. Like I don't need you. <laughs> Fair. Um, and we've, you know, we've, we've lost some pretty big clients as a result. Um, and you know, sure you can say, well, we missed out on this much revenue, but at the end of the day, we're doing just fine. Mm. And again, it's not about being cocky or arrogant, but I know that the way that we operate, the way we conduct ourselves, the beers we make, we have a very, very loyal following. And if our beer isn't served at such and such a place for whatever reason, um, the folks that love us will go somewhere else. They'll find they'll find our product. So I'm going to ask a question. Feel free to decline to answer. Sure. But I have to ask. Okay. Can we talk about the riders thing? Sure. Whatever you want to talk about, riders are great. If if it's if it's on the table, I have to ask sure. because if I remember correctly, there was supposedly a big thing with rebellion and the Rough Riders <laughs> with the new stadium. Yeah. Can I ask what happened? There was, um, uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of folks don't even know the whole story anymore. I mean, and it's a long story. I actually I had a meeting just a couple weeks ago about uh, beer at the Rider game. We got a so. whole podcast, man. Yeah. But so, I mean, ultimately, um, I felt very strongly when the new stadium was being built. Uh, I actually was in favor of it at the time, uh, even though I understand the economics of building stadiums don't really make sense. You know, at the time I was like, yeah, okay, fine. Um, but I, I knew that it was really important that local businesses benefit from it. Uh, again, typically stadiums, you know, there's all this sponsorships, people throw money at it. Mm-hmm. I was just like, that's inappropriate and gross because the funding for this stadium was going to largely come out of the taxpayers' pockets, the local people. Yeah, a lot of it was like City of Regina specifically. Yeah, and so I even before, so we were just planning to open the business and I wrote letters to the provincial government and to the city just saying, hey, we're planning to open and, you know, I hope there's opportunities for local businesses to to participate and benefit from this stadium. Um, of mm-hmm. course, I kind of just got a, you know the polite PFO letters because <laughs> I really I really was a nobody back then, but it was already on my mind and uh, and, and that, that kind of advocacy lobbying thing. Uh, yeah, I just kind of knew I was going to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I just felt I could uh, possibly make some inroads there. Anyways, um, when it did finally the stadium did start progressing in construction, um, we were approached by the city of Regina who owns the stadium and mm-hmm. said. And they literally showed up with plants, put it on the table, and said, here is where your beer is going to be served. You can come in in two weeks from now and design your space however you want. Sounds like a good deal. Like, all right, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) And then they just stopped talking to us. They didn't return a call. They just straight up fell off the face of the planet. It was as if... And uh, so it took... Because the media made it sound like the deal had some serious momentum, too. Yeah, and so we and we had been told that there was an agreement with 
Molson, the main beer provider, who's always been, you know, a sponsor of the Rough Riders. They were going to be the main beer sponsor, but there was uh, a section carved out for craft beer. Hmm. Which is true, which is true. But anyway, along with, it's a long, I mean, again, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus, but it took about six or eight months and finally got, sat down at the same table with the mayor and the mayor was like, oh, anyways. Um, Yeah, there was a lot of, and we we really tried to, we tried to be respectful, Mm -hmm. but we, um, but we weren't going to just get bulldozed. Mm. Um, I can tell you that one ex-CEO that was involved in it uh, showed up. I, I was at City City Hall one day, and he patted me on the head. Was kind of like, "Well, you know, Mark, maybe when you grow up, you know, maybe someday you'll you'll get in the stadium grow up. when you're a big boy." And I said, "Yeah, okay." I said, "Okay, we'll see. We'll see about that." <laughs> and um, I mean, that just made me want to do it even more, right? So <laughs> any, at, the, at that at council that that night, um, we got. We got the city to say on record that craft beer will be served in the stadium because up to that they wouldn't, and it was on public record, so we knew it's like, okay, they have they have to make this happen. Yeah, and did they? So yeah, so they ultimately did, right? Um, again, I mean, I could tell you all sorts of stuff, and there's stuff I can't tell you. About. <laughs> I was say, there's but, things you can tell me when we're done recording. Yeah, but ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, I feel good about it. It was terrifying. Mm. Um, I got a lot of nasty, negative. Uh, emails from various organizations that were involved in the negotiations uh, saying they were very, very upset with me. I think it was the first time ever that um, someone had publicly created a bit of negativity around the way some of that business has been conducted in the past mm. and how some of those deals were made, um, which again, is that's how it's always been. Yeah. Just like I was mentioning the restaurants. That's how it's always been. You can, you can... You can physically touch staff and servers or do whatever the hell you want. That's That's been accepted. But yeah. And then I come along, I'm like, no, that's not accepted. Um, so kind of the same situation with yeah. beer at the football stadium. Uh, and I tried to be as professional and as, and I guess, I mean, I'm sure maybe there's a few people that still hate my guts, but um, ultimately we got our beer in there. Uh, and not just our beer, but uh, we, get, we have a representation of brews across Saskatchewan that get to serve beer at the stadium i mean that's i love the riders i grew up loving the riders i want to still love the riders yeah and to be able to go there and drink a beer that like i say that i made that i came up with wow like i feel like that is just like a really good example though of how it may not always feel like you're getting what you want in the moment but pushing can really move the needle sometimes on things like this and people have to stand up for what's right right and we are the first and i mean and it's um you know again because of some of the sponsorships um no one can actually really promote the fact that our beer is served there (laughs) but it's a huge deal there's there's literally no other stadium in canada that has local craft beer winnipeg just did it this year but nobody else had it okay we did it here in Saskatchewan. And we were the pioneers. And I'm, and I'm not trying it. to say I did it all, but like I got the thing rolling. I, yeah. you know, and there was there was definitely other other brewers and folks that helped out along the way. There's a ton of other work, but I'm like, holy crap, I did that. That's awesome. <laughs> and my mind really sticks on that that guy who was really condescending to you when you had your sort of initial setback. Yeah. Do you find like you have a different vibe than most business folks? Do you find you get sort of that? smugness or, or condescension from some of the old guard <laughs> yeah sure i mean i could tell you a city councillor showed up to a board meeting that uh that i was chairing 
I was chairing a, a meeting and a city councilor uh, came for his came to the meeting and never been there before. And I was there, you know, just wearing my usual clothes. It was summertime, so I don't I had a sleeveless cutoff shirt on and <laughs> short shorts, whatever, right? And he came in and he was in a suit and he's like, Oh, it's gonna be this type of a meeting. And I said, Well He said that just out loud. <laughs> yeah. To the chair. Yeah. But at the at, once the meeting was over, he came up and said, "I need to apologize." Hmm. He said, "You blew me away. I'm honored to have been here and to have met with you and had these discussions." So it felt pretty good. I like it. Uh, I've been at other. I've been involved. I've been. I've. I contributed to the uh, city's economic strategic plan, ten year growth plan. I showed up wearing the same sort of clothes at that. Uh, nobody would speak to me. Oh, and I wore a shirt that said, this guy needs a beer. <laughs> do you sometimes do that to just mess with I, him? So I do. I do. And that's and it, it is leveraging privilege because I am able to do that. Maybe we'll circle back to that. But I did that. I, but yeah, I show up to these events and then I'm like, yeah, no one would talk to me. I showed up. Everyone ignored me. Well, yeah, because everyone else is in a suit. No one wants to be seen with this goofball. But then, you know, we get into the first hour or two of discussion and debate and what is this all about and i offer my opinions and then we have an intermission and then and then everyone wants to come talk oh you're mark oh oh i love what you said oh and tell me more so and i'm not saying that to make fun of them i I really don't it's it i i appreciate the fact that i i sometimes can present a very non unprofessional look Mm. And I do it intentionally because I want people to actually understand. I want people to like me because of what I what I'm bringing to the table, mm. and what I'm willing to participate. My honesty, my thoughts, instead of um, fitting a mold. Instead of wow, that guy must be cool because he has a nice suit on. Mm. Screw that. So I don't know if I've ever thought a guy was cool for his suit. You know, like unless they're it. James Bond specifically, it's more like. So when I worked in government, I drove a beat up old Honda Civic. And everyone else had like fancy sports cars that I worked with. And like, <laughs> when we'd like go home at the end of the day, they'd be like, Mark, you gotta, you gotta start driving a better car. Uh, what the hell? You know, yeah. like I was not part of the, and I wasn't invited for drinks or like, I wasn't, and yeah. I'm not saying, oh, poor me, or, or, but it was a thing. I, yeah. Do you think like, there, there is feels, a thing to be, yeah. it feels weird to weigh in on something as like a, a privileged white dude, but there is this sort of weird suit pressure to like put on the suit and go do the job. Do you know what I mean? Do you find that too? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like and this uh, very performative businessman-y sort of thing that's very much foisted upon us. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, when I say I, I have the privilege that I can show up in a cowboy suit if I want, which I've done, <laughs> I've done that as well because I just don't care. Um, but I, I, there's, there's some really, uh, there's some first nations folks, uh, that were, are in business that I really respect and they go above and beyond to just be like completely prim proper. Every, like everything is in perfect. Sort of performed professionalism. And I chatted with one of them about that one time and he said, I have to mm. because I don't have that privilege. Right. People assume, oh, I'm just first nations. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of a bumbling idiot. Mm. So he's like, I have to be the best dressed guy in the room. I have to be the sharpest guy. That's interesting. And like, as somebody who's very sort of, you know, an outsider looking into that experience, like you don't even, like the things you don't even realize, because I had never even really thought about that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that they're constantly having to overcome 
prejudices even with just how they dress absolutely yeah he's 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 shared that you know sometimes you know again because we don't always meet in person or it's you know it's just over email and he said he's gone to some business meetings and he can just see their face when he walks in and they realize he's first nations and they're Mm -hmm. just like and just sort of giving up on him before he even gets to talk yeah yeah so it's it's anyways i i don't know what the point is but uh I try to pay attention to those dynamics, and so I, I'm I can leverage them a certain way, but other folks are actually at a disadvantage, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, and it, I feel like that's the sort of conversation that you can't really come away with an answer, more just seeking understanding, right? Know? No different than women, right? And you see that all you still see that, right? Or people commenting on how women are dressed, right? That's, mm-hmm. It's just bizarre. I feel this strange entitlement to how other people dress, and like I. I, I'm certain it's something I unpacked from when I was younger, but these days I'm like, just do whatever you want. Why do I have any interest in what that person's wearing or? Presenting? Yeah, so that that's what we try to do at the brewery, you know. Yeah. Um, just be comfortable, be safe, right? You gotta, you know, meet, uh, you know, some of the some of the work is dangerous or this or that, but yeah, like you probably can't be out in the floor and flip flops, but yeah. But like <laughs> other than like, yeah, I just I want people to be feel they can express themselves and do their thing, right? So. One other thing that I wanted to touch on when you talked about, you know, culture and you talked about sort of the the friction that you've experienced at different points, you had you were protested. Yep. Um, what a unique experience to be protested. So start with that. How did it feel to be protested? Um, <laughs> I don't know. It was it was really bizarre. I don't know. I. So can you maybe start by walking me through what happened, um, what the specific? So for well, maybe yeah, we got... for somebody who's on an outsider and doesn't know about what happened, can you maybe walk us through the events? Yeah. So at Rebellion, uh, it would be I want to say two falls ago. It was probably two. It was in August. the uh, The city of Regina said that they were going to implement a mask mandate ahead of a provincial mask mandate. Hmm. Everyone knew the fall was coming. Everyone knew that people were going to start getting sick. Everyone knew that masks did prevent the that strain of the COVID. The arc of things was pretty obvious. Yeah, uh, I remember even the city of Lethbridge had a mask mandate. Uh, I just and I just I just I was actually in Calgary, Alberta, uh, where they had a mask mandate, and I'm like, if Lethbridge can have a mask mandate, I'm pretty sure Regina can or Saskatchewan. Can. Yeah. And uh, anyways, the mayor was saying he was going to do it, and I was chatting with him. I said, "Good, I'm going to do it too." And then, of course, he backed out. <laughs> of course. After I did it. <laughs> oh, you left me hanging here, man, by myself. But I, I have zero regrets. So, I was, you were, so you were one of the, so that was, yeah. one of so the only businesses that was doing this? or the There only? was probably three or four uh, at the time. Okay. And, of course, we have ended up with a mask mandate by November. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah we, you we, just we should have, we should have, just, we should have done this sooner. So that was two two falls ago, and so yeah, there was a lot of flack and nonsense even at that point. Um, but I think what you're really talking about is when the um, the vax mandates to go to restaurants and bars and purchase alcohol came in. You got it this fall, and uh, so the very day that it came in, uh, one guy came in, and uh, I was just, I was there having a beer after work. And this guy came in. He had made a reservation for like six or eight people or something. So we had a table. It was a busy night too. Even mm-hmm. though we had the va- vax mandate, everyone said, oh, no one's going to come. It was busy. The place was full. Uh, or as full as we could with the 
restrictions. Uh, and so this guy showed up, well, I got my table for eight. And, you know, so one of my servers said, yeah, you know, your spot's in the back there. Just let me see your vax mandate. He said, just need to confirm your vaccination. He goes, well, I need to use the washroom. And, uh, <laughs> and then you knew. And my server, my server said, well, no, I can use your vax. He's like, well, I, I just really got to go. And so my server kind of looked at me and I said, it's okay. I said, it's okay. So the server said, yeah, okay. So of course the guy went and used the washroom and then he, he went and sat down. And then, yeah. So when our, my server still kept asking him for his vax mandate, pulled out, you know, finger of like, you know, picture of the finger, you know, <laughs> take your, you know, take that. Wait, he had a printed out picture of the finger? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, the dedication to the bit. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> our server told me I had to leave and, uh, I wasn't really paying attention because I thought, well, this guy's just here. So then, yeah, he started walk. I saw him come and start walk, walking out again. And then he started, uh, he thought, he, he said he wanted to talk to the owner. But it was so it was funny because he actually started yelling at my, uh, my, my friend who I've been friends with since, I don't know, I was 12 years old. He was sitting beside me. He, he got us mixed up. So he was yelling at my friend <laughs> thinking he was the owner. <laughs> And you, you of course, didn't correct him. No, we just kind of let it go. <laughs> but we just kind of nodded, and you know, and he, you know, and he was just, oh, I hope you go out of business, and blah blah blah. blah. And I said, yeah, okay, okay, like, um, and he eventually left. And and anyways, I just shared a tweet about it because it was Thanksgiving long weekend, and I just yeah, because you know, he booked this table. Yeah, and I just had someone, no intention yeah, I said of someone who goes it, right? to, to this length and you know has to show you a picture of a finger, like, you're clearly carrying around a lot of anger. I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, anyways, that one tweet, uh, I started getting phone calls from strangers across the country. They wanted to give me money because they felt sorry for me. Uh, uh, other people, friends that I knew, other brewers that I knew from across Canada, they were phoning me like, why are you on the front page of Reddit? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm on the front page of Reddit. They're like, yeah, like everything's trending. Everything's going nuts. And my phone was going crazy, this yeah. or that, right? Uh, I actually looked the other day. That, that tweet has been seen three million times. Three million times. Yeah. So we're, I'm again, I'm, we're all into stats and social media and we, so we, we, you know, our business, we try to follow our pages and our growth and our reach. And, you know, we always yeah. try to pay attention to that. Even on my own personal Twitter, I've had tweets that can get upwards of 50,000 views, which is pretty a damn good. That, yeah, no I think I have that. like 12 or 1500 followers, whatever. If you're into that, 50,000 is pretty impressive. It's, yeah, absolutely. Like, huh, whatever I it's had to say, whatever I had to say that day clearly <laughs> resonated. Yeah. Uh, but to get one to go three million is just kind of out of control. So, I mean, I, I didn't think it was a big deal. Uh, Turned into one. Yeah, I guess people really did. So, so. what came of it? What came of it? Uh, we still, I mean, we, we still get continual harassment from folks. Uh, we still have to ban people from our webpage or you, from our social. Do you find you maybe sort of became a little bit of a symbol of the vaccine passport thing? As oh, a for sure. For sure. We, so we, we're, so we show up on, on multiple lists. We show up on the list of, uh, anti-vaccine folks of people, of businesses you should harass mm -hmm. and cause trouble for. And we show up on the, uh, the pro vaccine pages Wait, of you're businesses on the, you should you're support. You're on the both lists? Yeah. And people, it's like, we get sent screenshots, right, from these private groups. And, like, they're like, yeah, go to Rebellion and stir shit up or phone the health inspector on them. And then the health inspector comes and we're just like, yeah, did you see this screenshot from this private group oh that says that they should phone you? And they're like, oh, 
that's really stupid. Do you find it's running out of steam, or do you think the momentum? Is well, like still... I say, we've we've still been getting calls like in harassment just even in the last week. Over what? There's no rules. Uh, yeah, I know. That's what I don't get. <laughs> so they're just this is just people being having grievance now. Yeah, and, and and whatever. I mean, it's it's just it's unfortunate, and I I, I don't I, I always try to circle back to like I don't care. I really don't care what side of the fence you're on right now. Everyone is stressed out. Everyone is really angry. Hmm. I'm not saying that that excuses it or justifies it, but like you at least understand I, it. Yeah, and so I just kind of brush it off. Um, and actually, on Truth and Reconciliation Day, our whole staff, um, uh, we went. We we took in um, the services downtown, mm-hmm. and uh, there was just a, a guy who was there doing some construction work, and he confronted me, and he was quite upset about the mandates. And was giving me shit. And I just, you know, and my, so my approach to the whole thing has been, you know, to, to either not engage, but I mean, literally, we're, the guy just came up to me and approached me on the street. Yeah. But to not uh, match those emotions, to not argue. Yeah. And I just listened to him and talked with him. I never raised my voice. He, you know, and again, he was like, he was saying things. He, again, he wants me to go out of business. He'll never buy my beer again. And I, said, I said, I'm really, I'm really sorry to hear that. And I must have done something really wrong to make you upset. You know, mm-hmm. just, just those types of things. Yeah. And anyways, the comp, he we ended up, he stood there, because, and I wasn't backing down from him either, but I just didn't yeah, animate. They never know what to do when you don't match their energy. After about, it was about a half hour conversation. And by the end, he apologized and wanted to shake my hand. I like it. Just, just because you and I didn't, didn't escalate to yeah. react and you just engaged with it. And I just thought that that was... And again, I'm not saying I, I was right or he was wrong, but I just... Uh, there's not enough of that anymore. You found common ground. We found enough common ground, right? And it's like, I understand why you're upset. I'm upset too, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense. So I think the, the last question I have to ask for you is probably... You know, maybe the most important. What? Well, not the most important. We've asked a lot of important questions, but a very important one. What's next for Rebellion? What's what's coming down the pipe? Uh, we have, I mean, we have a ton of plans for beers. We're uh, right away for International Women's Day, which we've always acknowledged and supported. Always donated money towards that. Um, we have a new beer that's coming out. It's being brewed right now, and um, we're going to be donating all the money to Regina Sexual Assault Services. So we're pretty stoked about that one. That's fantastic. And um, this year we've tried to get a little bit more ahead on it. And so we've, we've tried to um, reach out to, uh, well, literally anyone in the community, but we've also just behind the scenes contacted some of our friends and good, good restaurants and businesses to say, Hey, do you want to partner or do you have your own ideas or something we can collaborate on? And um, so, yeah, we've already seen some interest from a few of the restaurants and some of the other businesses. So um, it feels good, right? It's like, how do you take it to the next level? Like mm-hmm. I say, we've always acknowledged International Women's Day. Uh, the last couple of years, we've donated money to the YWCA. In fact, we won a Paragon Award for that last year. Sure. Ooh. Great. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's like, okay, we know we're going to make a beer. We know we're going to donate money to someone. But mm. how, can we, how can we make a bigger impact, right? So, so translating the business into social impact. Yeah, I like it. I like just trying to raise even more awareness on that, and and it's a really important one for us. Um, uh, as I kind of mentioned, you know, bar and restaurant industry and brewing industry, you know, has always been a very macho, male dominated, mm-hmm. you know, sexist, you know, pretty shitty industries. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, I I knew from the beginning we weren't going to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, when uh, we went uh, 
to the, the, the local homebrew meeting before we opened Rebellion. And we said, we're opening a brewery, blah, 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 blah. And everyone was all excited and this and that. And one person, Vanessa Owen, she came up like immediately afterwards. And she's a very shy, introverted person. She barged right up to us and was like, how do I apply to work for you? I want to brew beer. And I was like, uh, I don't know how you apply, but uh, noted, Vanessa. And, you know, and I, I, already, I haven't gotten that far yet. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, ultimately we hired her. Uh, she was one of our first employees. She now, you know, co-manages the brewery, comes up with the recipes, does all, like, and she's, she's awesome. And, uh, you know, and it's not about just like, oh, my God, you know, Vanessa's the token woman. We have a lot of uh, females and, you know, our management is... Uh, I don't know if we're over 50% female, but, you know, right around that, you know, 45 to 55% female. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, it's not about trying to hit a quota or a number, but, um, or to prove a point, but yeah. it's about, uh, having different people from different experiences and different interests. And it makes you that much stronger. Um, women drink beer too. They do. Uh, and as much as I think I know how to market to everybody, uh, women probably know how to market to women better than I do. So it helps. I think that's such a good way of putting it. Yeah, just like including voices benefits everybody. Like I got all sorts of great ideas. I got all sorts of terrible ideas. And But, you know, I also want to make sure that my 22-year-old bartender is really excited uh, as opposed to me using some obscure reference from a 1970s sitcom. And they're like, I don't know what the hell Mark's talking about. I don't give Your a crap. Your parents will love it. Yeah, they're like, I don't give a crap. <laughs> I want it to mean something to them. So I, I try to engage more and more of those folks, right? Um, whether you, what they call it, the bottom-up approach or whatever, right? Like but it's, it's true, right? Especially if you're in the business of marketing and selling stuff. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't, who doesn't want to uh, offer their opinion to the, the owner of the business? Absolutely. Um, is there anybody that, or anybody or anything that you'd like to take this space to shout out or draw attention to? Oh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's a million great people. I was just, uh, I was, I mean, I was just before I came here, I was just talking with Terry Van Mackelberg. Um, so we've done a lot of work together on LGBTQS, uh, community. Um, we just did a big fundraiser for Lulu's Lodge, which is a, a youth home, okay. uh, for transgendered folks. Um, that, you know, have come out and basically their parents are like, well, that's great. Go find somewhere else to live. Um, so, and so that's Lulu's house, Lulu's lodge. Yeah. Lulu's it's lodge. run by the John okay. Howard society. So we just donated $10,000 to them. I'm going to make sure there's a space in, uh, the description to donate to them as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's just an amazing, amazing organization. They're doing fantastic work. I mean, you're helping homeless kids. Mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and not just homeless kids, homeless kids who are very vulnerable. Yeah, and they, they right, they need they, they need supports, they need yeah. some care, they need some love. Absolutely. Uh, cuz they're not getting it from anyone else right now. Absolutely. That's so fantastic. it really resonated with a lot of folks to to stand up and do that and uh so uh it hasn't necessarily even been announced yet, but um so Terry does a uh a big fundraiser as well where uh he gets a bunch of local celebrities to perform and drag. So the reason why we we're chatting is I'm going to be doing a drag performance. And it's, so it's going to be at the casino. I think it's at the casino or maybe one of the hotels. Now I can't remember. It's in August. But yeah. Anyways, uh, again, he's just another one of those guys. He's a professional, right? He has his whole like career and this or that. But it's like he's really passionate about this stuff and just puts his all into it. That's awesome. And uh, we met him a couple of years ago, a couple summers ago. And like literally within like the first 10 minutes of meeting with him, we're like, we need to work with you. We need to raise money for Lulu's Lodge. 
So, yeah, throw some support to Lulu's Lodge. Look for uh, Mark to throw on a dress or, I don't know, maybe spandex. Let's. There's many options. Yeah, I, again, you know, I started thinking of some ideas, which I thought were really great. And I shared them with my wife and she's like, no, those are terrible. Um, so I'm like, well, then what should I do? And she, she had some great ideas. There you go. You got to, you, you know, it's going to be fantastic. You're great for doing that. And you're thank you for supporting Lulu Lodge. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, and drink rebellion beer of course it's delicious um, yeah come see us we're pretty we're pretty transparent if i i'm not always around the brewery but if uh i am around come say hi uh i maybe don't i think i think when i'm online or on social or hamming it up like i can be on for the camera but like when i'm not then a lot of folks think i don't want to be bothered or i'm kind of like you know I'm, i ultimately i'm quite an introvert but feel free to approach me i was I hate some people say oh you're you're intimidating so. i'm personally terrified <laughs> well that makes you feel horrible right because <laughs> like, i don't want to be intimidating i want people to i want people to come and talk to me that's awesome. but apparently i give off a, a vibe <laughs> well you've been great to talk to here so thank you so much for joining me and, yeah that's uh, great thanks very much mark heisey yeah